I'm Darshi Harindra and this is Unbiased. In my podcast, I'll be chatting to someone new each session to explore the ways in which bias has affected or continues to affect their day-to-day lives. And today on my maiden podcast, I'm joined by a wonderful human an accomplished corporate professional who's spent close to two decades working with huge players in the banking, insurance and consumer industries around the world, managing technology projects and technology risk. He's presented and participated on expert panels on topics relating to technology, risk, privacy and cybersecurity across the APAC region, and he's passionate about so many things technology. He also happens to be a wonderful and committed father of two girls and a husband to, well, that would be me. Yes, today I'm joined by my bestie and husband, Rohan Wickramasinghe. But what you won't find on Rohan's LinkedIn profile is that he's also a seasoned athlete who in his younger days played the professional tennis circuit in Australia, topped the athletics leaderboard at his once prestigious Sydney High School, Knox Grammar, in long jump and a 100-metre sprint, and someone for whom sport, fitness, wellness and lifestyle are embodied in his core values and his day-to-day life. I'm super excited to share the mic with you today, Rohan, to explore some of the ways that bias has played a part in your life journey and the role it may have played growing up in Sydney and your impact on your life decisions from an early age. Rohan, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. Thank you, Dashi. Nice to be here. So in order to get under the hood today, I'm going to start quite close to the beginning. You grew up in a pretty rural part of New South Wales, Tari. Not so dissimilar from me, who also grew up in South Wales, but the original one. Now, for a while, I was certainly sure that I was the only brown person in the village, though that village was a warm and hospitable one for me. What was it like for you as a young boy growing up there and how did you spend your time in Tari? That's right. Tari was, um, back in my day, um, very dairy, very agricultural, uh, very small. Uh, My dad worked there as a a specialist uh, cardiologist physician uh, and I went to a small uh, country school there, uh, which was quite small. Um, and multiculturalism, multiculturalism wasn't a big thing uh, there, and not like you, um, I, I was one of, you know, probably was the only brown kid um, in, in a school of, you know, primarily, um, you know, Aussie, Aussie kids. Um, but growing up was great. You know, I had great friends, and you know, the school backed out onto, you know, beautiful greenery and big ovals, and was very quiet. You know, not like the big cities, which I wasn't accustomed to. Um, and, you know, that, that, that was what I was used to for, for the good parts of, you know, 10 years before I uh, ventured off to the, the big smoke in Sydney uh, for high school. So you went from this little town, village, primary school to 
well, the big smoke in comparison to high school in Sydney and a fairly renowned one at that, um, Knox Grammar. Can you tell us a bit about your experience as a boarder there from the age of 11? So I think like, like any kid, um, and I'm reflecting back on, on when I was kind of 10, close to 11, uh, going to, to Knox Grammar, my brother had already completed, or was about to complete year 12 because he was seven years my senior and like anything you're you're excited about it you've got a new uniform you know new kids and things like that but it doesn't really hit you until you are immersed amongst other boarding students um, you know brought into this kind of military construct which Knox Grammar was was a Scottish Scottish school which was you know very military in the way it operated um, and put into this dormitory style um, structure from from eleven years old from from having uh, you know from having my own bedroom and my own routine to suddenly having to share this little dorm structure um, with you know fifty other kids so it was a massive shock for me um, and when it was reality i i certainly I certainly didn't want you know my parents to leave who were my safety blanket and I remember i've never bawled or cried more in my life. Um, but like anything, um, you know, we're, we're resilient human beings and, um, I, I went through the system from, from year seven, um, to year, year 12 and, and each year, uh, you, you grew to be more independent, you grew to be stronger. Um, and in my case I had to be because, you know, I thought bullying and racism, uh, were things I, I had to tolerate, um, as a, as a brown kid in a, primarily Anglo-Saxon school. So what were some of your kind of coping mechanisms through school? Was it, did, did sport play a part in getting you through those? Was it your, your, what were your friendship groups like? I know you've got kind of a fewer closer friends rather than the bigger groups. How did, how did your, your life at Knox kind of pan out over those years in developing into someone more resilient and independent? In the beginning, I behaved like a child um, and it was, it was really tough. I remember you would be up in the morning, have to make your bed, have to have your shower in such a way, your clothes would have to be folded in such a way, you'd have to be ready and lined up to go down to the dining hall for breakfast, you'd, you'd march down to breakfast, you'd have breakfast, and as soon as I could escape, I'd be in my, get my bag and I'd be off to the nearest payphone, payphone which was next to the headmaster's office, to ring home and, and plead with my parents to, to bring me home. Uh, and I did that non-stop for, for months, uh, I think. Um, and, and that was tough. And, and I still remember that like, like yesterday. Um, sport, my love for sport was definitely a coping mechanism. Knox was, was brilliant for sport. Um, and it was something I was able to immerse myself in. Um, but I was, I was still a child. I was still reading The Secret Seven and Famous Five in... In, in year seven, um, I remember that. But you were forced to grow up quickly because there were the schoolyard fights, there were the schoolyard bullings. Um, and I quickly learnt to defend myself. And I quickly also, well, not quickly, but over time formed my own kind of set of friends, um, some of whom are 
my close friends today, um, one who was my best man for our wedding. Um, and, you know, coping mechanisms were, it's, it's hard, to, hard to explain. Sport was, sport was one of them, but you just did. I don't know how to explain it. You just went by term by term and then suddenly you move boarding houses, you're in another boarding house and you have different boarding house masters and you go through different threats and bullings and, and things like that. And, and I went through that until the day I walked out the gates. Um, and it was, you know, certain types of what we, you and I and, and others of, of colour would deem as racism or bullying was accepted as just being a joke or, or funny. I remember in the final speech that was given about each of the students, um, you know, one of the boys who was allowed to be the MC by one of the masters um, made in the speech a highly racist comment to me, which they knew, which they all thought was very funny and everybody laughed um, as part of the, the Leaver speech. And I was in year 12 and I had to also conform and laugh along as though it wasn't an issue. Um, and these are things now, you know, bordering on kind of 40 now, you, that they still they still hurt and they still scar, um, going back to your, your childhood. What was that comment, Ro? You've never told me before. I don't fully remember. It was, you know, it's like, well, I do remember. It's, it's like, you know, putting on the funny Indian voice and, you know, the usual thing which we've all, and, and I can't remember, it was it was a, a particular Indian voice that they used to, that they used to recognise me by. And I think, you know, when, when I was in year seven, I think I used to, you know, how you speak with the parents, you switch, switch the, the accent a bit. So they used that all the way up to my year 12 speech to to bring that out in a speech as though it was a, you know, something to, to remember me by as opposed to, you know, all my athletic achievements, all my sporting achievements, um, all the things I'd done for the boarding house as a boarder. But instead, that was the one thing that was allowed to be said as a kind of my recollection, my piece of remembrance that was said by one of the other boarding students. And, and that was disappointing um, for, for me. And, and I still remember that. Um, in, the, in the final dinner. But you know what? You know, I walked out those gates and I've never returned. Um, and, and that's a shame um, as, an, uh, as an alumni. Um, but I, I, have, I, don't, I don't look back, unfortunately, on my, my schooling as a particularly fond, fond memories, even though it was a top school, offered great opportunities, may have helped me get a better job, maybe, maybe not. But um, yeah, those were, those were my schooling days. But the things, it, it made me resilient, it made me strong, um, and I've been able to tolerate, you know, much harder situations as a result. Yeah, it's interesting, it's interesting hearing, hearing that in the context of the guy you are now. I know you've sort of had, you have, have shared often mixed, mixed views in terms of your, your schooling. As you said, it was, um, did give you some great opportunities um, from sporting wise, but it's it's funny how some of your experiences in high school, and I think it's quite universal, universal are indelible in your in your mind. Um, so so yeah, it's quite full on to hear things that these days 
you know, you'd hope would never pass muster um, and, and would never be role modeled in that way or kind of just frowned upon or not, not even frowned upon rather, or just kind of turn your back on it and pretend we didn't hear it or, or what have you. Um, There's a huge social ignorance back there which was back then and even now right we see that with with black lives matter and and things like that where people make off-the-cuff remarks with no bad intentions but they don't fully understand the ramifications of their comments and that goes back then to the students to the masters that approved these types of statements you know they see it as funny they go it's fine it's fine but it's not fine that's still it still goes on, um, and f- for us, we didn't have any of the social media and, and all of that, so we could we could leave certain environments uh, and be physically protected. But but now, you know, with our two girls growing up in a world of social media that can attack many young people behind closed doors and what we deem what we deemed as protection um, within our own homes uh, is not the case anymore um, and, th- and that is a scary thought um, but it's you know it's something as parents now we we have to figure out in a new age world you know how, how we protect but also how we make people more socially aware that these types of things are not acceptable and we don't want to teach our young children that people are different but because of their skin colour, because of where they came from, how they grew up, we want everyone to treat everyone like like humans. Um, we want them to have friends of different cultures. And this is so much, and I could talk about this for hours, but that, that, that's kind of little things like that. They still, they still scar me today. Um, and coming from a, a school that charged $60,000, $70,000 a year, you, you would expect better, is, is my view. Yes, I know that's something that that comes up a lot now. We've got now that our eldest Aria has just started kindergarten, and it's brought brings a lot back for for anyone that has has been through the school system system themselves, and and it and a lot of the way that you parent your your kids. I've seen that that kind of all make, makes sense to me. Um, the you know that we really want to nip any kind of. Um, inklings of why is someone different and and looking at people any differently and how or, or more conversely to really instill that level of empathy and compassion um in your kids and and hope that that carries through in school environments and i sometimes feel that probably we in this age of social media it just puts more pressure on parents to really be proactive about about those kinds of behaviours um, so that we can carry those through as, as our kids kids grow up. But hearing your stories as well, now I know that your university life was quite different and it seems to be something that you've always um, held much fonder memories um, of and that really shaped you and I know that you went to Canberra with a sporting scholarship um, and made some more lifelong friends over there. Um, 
Now, probably the other thing that becomes a crossroads, I know, for a lot of immigrant children is when it comes to career and education, sport or, you know, a good profession like doctor, lawyer, accountant. Um, now, as I touched upon in the intro, you do have a very corporate career, but you have enjoyed some sporting success. Can you take me through that crossover period and those kind of decisions and what swayed a decision one way or the other in terms of your future career? I was very keen to be a professional tennis player or professional athlete or, or whatever. Um, I was a pretty solid tennis player um, through my junior days, um, you know, pre going to Knox Grammar in Sydney. Um, and I performed quite strongly uh, at Knox uh, as well. Um, and I was a good good runner and good jumper and played football and enjoyed all those things at a relatively strong level. And, and Knox as a school was a, was a high competitor against uh, some of the strong uh, CAS and, and GPS schools, uh, such as King's and Joey's and some of the big, big schools uh, in Sydney. Um, so I definitely wanted to be uh, one of those people. Um, but like you said, coming from a South Asian family, uh, and having a, a brother before me that uh, you know topped everything and, and went to medical school and uh, and things like that, there was the aspiration for me to to follow in a, a similar suit of either medicine, you know, engineering, uh, law, accounting, etc., which is the way. And education, as you would know, uh, rules a roost. And um, parent, you know, parents who have migrated across from from you know countries such as ours, which is Sri Lanka, want want their kids to, to do as best as they could um, and getting a, a solid education and going to good school and university was was their objective um, so for me when I started to throw in you know playing sport at a professional level there was a lot of arming and ring and you know uh, it wasn't wasn't very positively taken but I, I did get offered scholarships at UTS and and um, with the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, and I was lucky enough to train uh, with Darren Clark, who was one, one of Australia's top 400 meters, uh, 400 meter runners uh, back in the day. And he he thankfully took a liking to me um, and trained me and, and made me a, a top sprinter for the school, um, and made me a kind of Commonwealth Games hopeful um, and, and put that kind of in my head. But as a, as a kid, you don't really know what to do with that uh, unless um, the adults kind of push you and put you in the right direction. But I ended up in Canberra, um, Australia's capital capital territory. Um, I went to university there. I, I trained. I played um, tennis with the with the ACT team, um, the national team, um, and I competed. Um, I, I quickly learned I was a little bit out of my depth though um, at that the institute. And I, I remember my my first race at the at the AIS. Uh, I finished last. Um, I've never finished last in a in a hundred meter event ever in my life, um, and then the following week I finished second last, um, and it was a tough year. Um, and you know, if you weren't winning races, you weren't getting a huge amount of attention. And then if you were again a brown kid amongst a lot of white kids, you still got less attention again. Um, I had a female coach uh, for the national ACT team for tennis. Um, and she was pretty harsh on me uh, as well. 
in terms of performance. So it was a pretty, pretty rough first year. And I think eventually I kind of came to the conclusion it's not really what I want to do. So after one year, I, I dropped both. Um, I ran for the university, which was great. Um, and I picked up another degree, which my parents loved. So I ended up doing a commerce and information technology, majoring in software engineering and software architecture. And, um, and uh, I continued to play sport for the university at a, at a play, and I played first, grade, first and second grade football. And, and I had great friends. I had the people in Canberra were, were amazing. Um, they came from neighboring towns like Kuma and Kutamundra um, and Beechworth, Victoria, and they're my closest friends today. And they were not like some of the people I encountered at school. They they spoke to you like human being. They they it was never any bias towards where you came from, what you looked like, what your color was, um, and but at the same time I was much more resilient when I went to university, um, and I loved university. You know, it was I got meal choices. Um, I didn't have a bell waking me up in the morning to get up at six o'clock in the morning. I didn't have someone telling me how to shower. I didn't have someone inspecting my room. Um, I, you know, I had four different meal choices, um, which was, um, which was incredible. Um, I went to uni when I wanted to, um, and it was the, it was an amazing five years. And, and I made more friends at university than I did at school. Uh, and they are friends which you and I both have um, today. So university was an incredible time, and I'm proud to be a, an ANU alumni. Well, all's well that ends well. <laughs> um, and so looking now, we've spoken a little bit um, about it, but you've got two young daughters, aged four and one. Now, and apart from not sending them to boarding school, clearly. Um, has becoming a parent made you reflect some more on your childhood in the context of how you'd want to raise them or the experiences you'd like to make sure they have slash protect them from and against? So, so having, having two daughters is, is, is definitely, I'm seeing to be... Uh, definitely a challenge um, you know they're, they're definitely going to be outspoken um, and purposeful and they're, they're going to show serious attitude and I see that now I, I think they get that from their mother's side not 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 from from mine um, there are there are definitely things I look at in my childhood which I would like to avoid with them and I would like to offer them more protection than than I got with with no no attack on my parents at all but in a in a different age where you know we my my dad worked a profession which required him to be in a small country town which got him you know allowed him to migrate across from from Sri Lanka and he you know he did that because his my grandfather told him to and and you know he, we're now in a time where you and I both have jobs which allow us to be more flexible allow us to be more remote allow us probably to be more involved um at a, a close proximity in our children's lives and and that's something i want to do more from a parental involvement from a protection point of view but i say that 
with a level of caution as well because you don't want to shelter them so much to the point where they can't stand up for themselves and I think there was an element of me being sheltered as a young kid up to 11 and when I was suddenly released out into the wild I I couldn't cope Um, so even now at the tender age of four and one I think it's important for them to fight their own battles Um, and and they will develop resilience as they grow up you know from four to five to eight to nine to ten um, and then through their teenage years but we we need to be there to support them to encourage them to feel their wrath, to feel their anger, to feel their tears, um, to you know, to celebrate their successes. I, I want to be there all the way um, and, and be an active parent. I think we are just in a different generation to our parents um, and there will be a different way of application for the way we're parents and we will have different challenges to what our parents had. And I mentioned one before with social media and, and God knows what other things they're going to turn their nose out at us and, you know, say you have you don't know what you're talking about. So we will wait and see. Yep, I'm with you on that. Um, we will wait and see. And I think that they're in pretty good hands. But who knows what they're going to face and what statements they're going to come out with that's going to floor us. Um, but now, as a true disciplined sports person I know that you are all about the goal setting what are your key goals for 2021 my key goals for 2021 is to not get injured this year so as as you my wife know back in 2020 2019 was it 2019 now I I suffered a severe injury that required my first ever visit to the hospital for extensive knee surgery. So trying to prolong the game as, as long as possible will be, will be my focus um, from a physical point of view, uh, to be able to keep up with, with two very active, active children. Um, focusing uh, on us as, a, as, an, as an entity um, and, and making sure that you know, our own business dreams and pursuit of financial freedoms continue uh, positively, um, that we, we balance that with our family life um, and our family goals. Um, and uh, I think we just got to have fun. We've got to enjoy it. We've got to smile more and, and, and be happy this year and not take things too seriously. I mean, working corporate jobs it's 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 challenging uh, and in a in a year of covid as well where there's been so much misery it's been difficult to to smile and be happy and um, but i think that the last 12 months we really grabbed on to the small opportunities that that we had uh, and we changed things around uh, for the for the better for for our family uh, and i'd like to do more of that um, in 2021 and 2022 uh, really with a family focus uh, so those those are the big goals, but I think the other goal is not to set unachievable goals either. So, you know, have a couple of big ones that are achievable, uh, and not have a, a list of stuff that we we just get rolled over into the following year. So I like to goal set, but I'm crap at achieving them. So I need to be better at that. Yes, I know. I'm definitely one of those make a New Year's resolution on the first of Jan and see it slip away by the 1st of Feb but thank you very much Rohan for 
helping me achieve one of my goals of getting a podcast up and running. Very exciting. Which is very exciting. And the title of my podcast, as you know, is Unbiased. And so to finish off our session and something that I'd like to ask all of my guests is for you to share, if you could, the top maybe one to three things that you would do differently to limit the effect of the biases that you experienced or see around you? I think everyone has a voice. Everyone deserves to be heard. Um, and everyone's opinions matter. And I think I, I would definitely like to, to see more of that you know, captured. Uh, I would definitely like to see more diversity in leadership uh, within major and smaller organisations. Um, I'd like to see there definitely less favouritism in the, in the mechanisms uh, that, that choose people uh, either for specific roles or, you know, highlight people's opinions, etc. I, I think everyone, as I said, deserves to be, be heard. Um, you know, if you challenge the status quo um, or you don't fit a certain mould, you are not deemed worthy. Um, I'd like to see more normalisation uh, of that. I'd like everyone to be seen for, for who they are, what they represent um, and what they bring to the table uh, without, without that level of bias provided straight off the bat. Um, so th th those are kind of a couple of big things that, that you know, they're obviously not going to change overnight, but with all these different types of initiatives and pushes and, and this one by yourself uh, as well to try and equal um, or normalise the playing field uh, and more people are speaking across social medias and, and other mediums uh, on these things, I'd like to think collectively we, we can change the landscape, uh, if not for in our lifetime, for, for our kids. And that's kind of, kind of what, what I see as the, my big goals. Well, I think that's great because, and I know, I know you are a really wonderful, active listener. And I think that message of listen to people around you, listen more and, and act on those things and listen and be inclusive is is a really lovely way to end this podcast. Rohan, thank you very, very much. My pleasure.